Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanRag Sports. I'm Sebastian Norin, joining me as always, Paulie Costell and Elliot Niblock. Uh, we're going to do a quick little roundup, touch upon a couple of games here from the weekend in the Premier League. Then it's going to be a lot of focus here on the internationals. We've got England playing, we got the US playing. So, and we also got a very interesting game between Ireland and Wales coming up. So we're going to touch about that. But first and foremost, Premier League. And Elliot, I know you don't want to talk about this game, but West Brom <laughs> three, Arsenal one. That was not. Yeah. That was. I mean, it was it pathetic. It wasn't. It was pathetic. It wasn't Bayern Munich bad, but it was bad. Well, no, but in many ways, I think that it, it's almost. It's almost less excusable because, you know, the team's not down to 10 men. You're not playing one of the best teams in the world that's in fantastic form. You're playing a Tony Pulis West Brom. And, yeah, they can be hard to break down, but shipping in three goals is inexcusable. And a a lot of that, admittedly, is on the fact that Petr Cech went off injured and I think Ospino had a horror show in goal. But... He's, uh, you know, the, you can't point, point the finger just at him. Yes, he is culpable, and I think that actually Arsenal are lucky that the scoreline wasn't more like Bayern Munich because he had a couple of huge gaps mm-hmm. that could have been more goals. But it's just, it it is sadly clear that Arsene Wenger's message is not getting through to the players anymore because this is a game that was really crucial to come out and make a statement, but it's also not the first time we've said that, is that this team has to make a statement, and sooner or later, they've got to make a statement against a n- team that's not a non-league side. It's just, it is, it's ridiculous. And I mean, you know, with the the planes flying overhead, I don't know if you guys saw the, like, the... The planes was the oh, funniest yeah, yeah. part of the story. Just I the, mean, the two contrasting planes. Yeah, and then also There's I don't one know of if those you... two planes that both said fire Wenger, but the fact that one of them was like against him and the other one was in support of him is just yeah. It pretty much just summarizes Arsenal right there. I know, and then also on top of that, there's a huge conspiracy theory that the pro Wenger plane was in fact funded by a member of the board. It's just it's it's a shit show and it's embarrassing it's truly <laughs> it was, embarrassing it's the same pilot he just went down switched out the flag <laughs> and then went up again he got paid double i mean wait i did hear that though like but i that granted that was like twitter and might have been a joke yeah. i forgot where i heard it from it was a very unconfirmed source but the planes like flew at intervals that were separate enough that it legitimately might have been the same plane yeah it could, it could have <laughs> i mean you know let's Let's be real. How many different plane banner services are there? <laughs> yeah, that is <laughs> like, true. Covering the Hawthorne. I always wondered, like, how they take off. Like, is the banner, like, dragging behind them when they take off? This is obviously something for another time. I just, yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Something, something that I've always wondered. We need to get uh, a pilot on the show. But to go, <laughs> to go back to what Elliot just said, though, is how many times in the past 10 years have we said Arsenal need to prove themselves? Yeah. Like it's it, this isn't like a recent thing. It's not like this year or last year. It's how many times in the last ten years have we said it? Yeah. Well, I... it's just and the most frustrating thing is that it, you know, when we won, like if Arsenal finally loosened the first strings, bought Alexis Sanchez, bought Mesut Özil, we won a couple FA Cups, and the feeling around the club was such that okay, this is this is great in and of itself. Yes, this is a trophy. Yes, it's you know. 
it's not the most prestigious trophy, but it's not the least prestigious competition either, you know? And this can be a launch pad for a legitimate title challenge, yeah. for making out of the goddamn round of 16 in the Champions League, so for buying higher marquee players, and then it's just, it's all totally gone to pot. Like, if that was a launch pad, then we just scuttled the ship and walked away and are now floating in the Gulf Coast in a dinghy. Yeah. Before I ask you a serious question here, I did read a man-on-the-street segment on a, in a Swedish newspaper, and they were asking mm-hmm. about, oh, what's your favorite, you know, springtime, um, you know, how do you know that it's spring? And the guy answered, and the guy answered, you know, it's spring when Arsenal gets knocked out of the round of 16 in Champions League. Then spring is here. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but Craig Dawson scored two goals here in this game for West Brom, both of them coming on corners. Oh, and not just not just that. Both of them, him making a run from just beyond the penalty spot, being half-heartedly sort of marked first by Aaron Ramsey and then by Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, both of whom just let him run scot-free past him. And the word, like, I think this bespeaks the crisis mode at Arsenal more than anything else, is that going into the match, Arsene Wenger said, we're aware that they're very dangerous from set pieces. And so when that awareness translates not even a little bit into on-the-field performance, not once but twice, then something is seriously wrong. Yeah. And then in, I know you have a soft spot, spot in your heart for Hal Robson Canoe, but he did score against <laughs> you. So. Yeah, he did. And that was another one where, you know, Aspina, he could have come to take that ball and he just looked a little afraid. And then it was a mess at the back, as yeah. we've seen many times before. But he, and... he wasn't prepared to jump in this game. He's like, it's a league game. I'm going to sit on the bench like I always do. Yep, no, screw that. He has to be prepared to jump into every game. That is his job. He's he's making more money than I'll ever make in my life to be prepared to do exactly that. And he wasn't. Cushiest gig in the world, backup goaltender. So he wasn't ready to do his job. Is he nope. going to lose his job? Nope. Obviously not. Must be. Yeah. That's some good job security. Yep. Sure. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, reports are the check can miss up to a month with that calf injury. And seeing that Manchester United overtook Arsenal with their win, you know, Arsenal down to six now. They two points behind United, took a 3-1 win over Middlesbrough. Are you, Elliot, just how worried are you? I mean, it's it's the worst run of league form in Arsene Wenger's history. And the the thing that concerns me is not so much that rough patch in particular but the lack of accountability that makes me believe that it can get yet rougher and still his renewed contract will be on the table because i mean stan kronke doesn't care about championships i mean i think that that's manifestly clear and you know the board the board is just seems to be content with you know and yeah, they're, they're content with not just mediocrity, but a fall from grace into mediocrity that makes Arsenal the laughing stock of the perennial title challengers. And I think it's a, part of it has to do with the culture of the football club and that it's become complacent with, don't get me wrong, again, I've said time and again in the show that on the one hand, I have a lot of respect for Arsene Wenger, but on the other, I think it's time 
for a change, yeah. but complacency is the name of the game at the Emirates. And that's, it, it, it just, the, the board doesn't really care about, and you know, this is another thing that I've said on this show before, and that I, I hate to bring it up, but right now Arsenal are looking up at Tottenham and it does not look as though Arsenal are going to catch Tottenham. And one of the banners that they have at White Hart Lane, tip, we'll see if they keep it after they renovate, is the game is about glory. But to Stan Kroenke and the Arsenal board, the game is about dollar signs. What? And that seems to be all they care about. And yeah, we're going to lose a lot of money by not qualifying for the Champions League. But I, unfortunately, I think that that is the only incentive. And it's actually going to take a while for them for that to sink in of just, oh, wow, we've just been cashing in on this year in, year out. Oh, yeah, because Arsenal's qualification for the Champions League is unprecedented. I think and, that's a lot of American owners, though. Well, I was going to say, American isn't that especially Kroenke, though? As an investment. Yeah, but Kroenke, you look at the teams he owns. The Nuggets in the yeah, NBA. Crap teams. Avalanche yeah. in the NHL, they're historically, they're going to be the worst team in 20 years. The yeah. Colorado the Rapids in MLS, and, and then the Rams, yeah. And then he yeah, owns a he lacrosse Rams, team, too. He, he moved the Rams in order to make more money, not because he wanted them to be a more competitive organization. Yeah. But, I mean, look at the Glazers. The Glazers own the Bucks, who have, you know, pretty much been pretty terrible, uh, especially uh, since winning the Super Bowl. They won a Super Bowl, and since then they've been pretty terrible. And, and I think what? this was... What? They're, they're still spending money, though, right? The, the Bucks. I mean, well, you have Super to spend Bowl money in the NFL. Juice. You have NFL, to spend money in the NFL. You're you're conflating the NBA and the NFL here, because the Green Bay Packers are owned by the citizens of Brown County. I said and the I said the Glazers who own the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, the Buc- I was thinking I was like the Bucks, and I was like, oh my god, are you talking about the Milwaukee Bucks? <laughs> no, 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 the uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, so, yeah, but I uh, think that was also a concern that, you know, a lot of Manchester United fans had when, when the Glazers took over. Uh, their concerns were a little bit more eased when they took over and then Sir Alex Ferguson won three straight titles and the Champions League during that span. And they they still make uh, incentives, you know. They're still, you got to finish top four. You know, David Moyes was fired the day after United were mathematically eliminated from the top four. Louis Van Hall was fired right after he didn't finish in the top four. And I think because of United's international branding and everything, they're branded as, you know, these these champions that if, if they don't start winning soon, then they know that those dollar signs are gonna go away. Yeah. So there is that they, they do understand that pressure. But yeah, I think all the American owners are they, they go over to England and they see it as an investment. It's a booming sport. The T V contract deals are becoming Huge. out of this world. There's so much money to be made there. That they're doing it as an investment. Yeah, and you know, Paulie, to your point, the the thing that bothers me the most here is is that there's so much vitriol directed at Arsene Wenger. And yes, again, it seems more and more that maybe he's lost the dressing room despite his unparalleled achievements at the club. But while there are, yeah, a few woke Arsenal fans who get it, but when the Glazers took over, you saw all of those green and yellow anti-glazer scarfs at Old Trafford. And I feel like the majority of frustration at Arsenal Football Club, and again, that was in part because at the time, Manchester United had their own iconic manager. And so uh, 
frustration from the fan base looked beyond the manager towards the board and the ownership. And here, even though it is an iconic manager because he's been struggling so much, I feel like he has been a lightning rod for criticism in a way that is not entirely fair. And, you know, I want to see those anti-Kronke scarves at the Emirates, the same way we saw the anti-Glazer movement. Yeah. But well, as you've said, Paulie, like, there has been kind of more incentive to to really go after it and compete at the highest level at Old Trafford than there has been at the Emirates. And the fact that there there isn't more frustration and anger geared towards the board rather than Wenger is something that both baffles and frustrates me. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole new club. Nothing says resentment kind of quite like a group of fans breaking away and forming their own club. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of it came down to just um, how, I mean, they took such a big loan. Right, the debt. Yeah. The debt. That was that was the thing that rubbed a lot the, of the fans. The green and gold wrong. scars didn't. The green and gold scars didn't come until after they won three straight titles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Paul, do you want to say anything about that three-one win for Man U over Middlesbrough? Real quick here. Um, yeah. Two things. One yes. is it just it 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 showed it showed Mourinho if you pick your spots, uh, you actually can win a game without Pogba and Zlatan. So. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you can rotate one of them out every once in a blue moon to keep them fresh. Uh, you know, just do it. Pick your spots in the correct situation uh, just like that. And number two is, at this point now, so United finally jump out of fifth, out of sixth place into fifth. They are four points behind Liverpool with two games in hand. They are five points behind Manchester City with one game in hand. And they play Manchester City. Mm-hmm. So that game is huge. So right now we find ourselves pretty much in the same position as we did at the end of last season. Your fate's in your own hands. If you, if United win out, they finish in the top four. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're not going to win out, but uh, there's just too many games to, to left to suggest that they'll win them all. But no more complaining. Like you, you dug yourself into a big hole, and now the ladder is there for you to climb out of it. Yeah. It's just a matter of you getting up and climbing out. Well, yeah, and it's a lot of it is just converting some of those needless draws into wins because we've spoken about this before. They have 10 draws. That's as many as Middlesbrough. And because they've only, right. lo- they've only but, lost three games, which is not bad. You know, that's on par with Chelsea and Tottenham. Right. And, they, and when was the last time they lost? Like September. <gasps> but they got to turn, turn those needless draws into wins. You can't, you, right, you but, can't do, you know, 1-1 one, one at home against Bournemouth or one scoreless at home against Hull. That's what's going to ex- cost you so much in the end. Yeah. Exactly. And what it comes down to is there, you, no reason to complain anymore. You can't complain that you're playing in Europe also. Um, you can't complain about anything else. Is Your fate's in your own hands. Yep. Win the games that you have to play. Your, your squad is well beyond big enough. Um that you can handle, that you can handle. I mean, you got productive performances out of Fellaini and Ashley Young last game. Yeah, which, but even, by the even, way, like that's funny because Fellaini and Ashley Young separately are two terrible players, and together <laughs> for the last like, for the last like three years, they've been a lethal combination. Yeah, no way. <laughs> Ashley I mean, Young can't compete, can't complete a cross to anybody except for Fellaini, and somehow when. When Ashley Young's on the field, Fellaini actually goes, you know what? I'm not going to sit out back here in no man's land. I'm actually going to get into the box and maybe try to score a goal. Yeah. But I think that even if he looks deeper in the system, because he doesn't he tend to use a pretty small squad? 
He does, but he's got a big squad, and you can use it. You've, you've got a big squad. You've got a lot of games. Use your squad. You know, you're playing Anderlecht in the Europa League. I, like, I'm sorry, that that doesn't exactly scream fear at me. No. Oh, zing. You yeah, know what? I might go to that game. Do it. I'm going to be I in mean, Brussels that do day. Do it. Yeah, I mean. And I've got a buddy who's got season tickets, so. Look, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, like, no disrespect to Anderlecht, but, you know, I'd be more afraid if I was playing Roma. It's just, it's oh, a yeah. bigger name. Yeah, yeah, of course. Although, Anderlecht are the previous home of the the mustachioed master, Sasha Kleisten. <laughs> it's also the previous home of our largest European victory ever when we beat them 10-0. Ooh, there so. we go. No, they gave Arsenal a run for their money a couple years ago. I think Lucas Podolski scored the winner. It was like 4-3, I think. It was a heck of a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Antonio Valencia scored a fortuitous goal in this one. That was the last goal. Uh, Victor Valdez sort of slipped and Valencia was there to pounce. And I saw headlines after this game that Valencia was one of the elite right backs in the Premier League. And I, that just shocked me. Yeah, well, Mourinho <laughs> said he's the best right back in the Premier League. And I'm like, shut what? Get, get out of here. He's not a right back. One, he's not a right back. Two, he's not named Kyle Walker. And three, he's not named Hector Bellerin. Both yeah. of those guys are better than him. <laughs> yes. Although Bellerin's been... I, I'm Bellerin seems like he's lost a step. I don't think that he's totally fit lately. He's like 22 though, so like, all right. No, no, yeah. Him, I, I don't mean. I mean from a, like. Let him lose a step. Injury, like, not from yeah. I, I right. Mean, okay. Like, yeah. Injury, like, not from like age. Yeah. No. God. He's heck. He's like. He's far younger than I am. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be peaking in his career when I'm like, oh my god, I have my first kidney stone. There we go. Yeah, last game we'll talk about here. That's Manchester City 1, Liverpool 1. We all thought that this so game each, was going to end 2-2. So each scored a goal. <laughs> yeah. We thought that this game was going to end 2-2. All three of us predicted that. Because they're, they're both terrible defenses. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it wasn't a... I wouldn't say that this was a great game. I mean, a lot of them were like, oh, this was, you know, back and forth, blah, blah, blah. I, I mean, it was okay. Yeah. It was it was okay, but I mean even the the official match report on Premier League dot com is like pulsating one one draw. Yeah, eh, I don't know. <laughs> James Milner scored from the penalty spot again. Draw. Yeah, exactly. Pulsating one one draw in which only one of the goals was scored from open play. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that means that Chelsea are still ten points. I had Tottenham City. They're in third, two points behind Tottenham. And then Liverpool in fourth, fifth to six points. And then, as we mentioned, Manchester United up to fifth. Arsenal down to sixth. I didn't do so well in the picks last week, which is ironic because I hit my four-way parlay that I actually bet. What do you mean? Uh-huh. You did. You got seven games right and a score. I got seven. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm missing. Yeah. I, I miscounted. Yeah. <laughs> Because usually what would happen is I'll I'll get seven games right, and then in my four-way parlay, I'll get – I'll, like, pick out two of the ones that I got wrong, and those will be, like, in the parlay. Uh-huh. This, this, week, this week I hit it, which was good yeah. because it, it offset all the money I lost on the NCAA tournament. Oh, there we go. Man, Make I, up for I, it. I, I, almost, I almost hit, like, a $500 parlay bet for underdogs beating the spread. In the second round, but just barely. Just barely. Just barely. Okay, before we head on to the internationals, 
Uh, we got some MLS news. Uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger is leaving Manchester United, joining Chicago Fire. And there's, you know, I sent you guys a link um, ahead of this. And some people might not agree that it's a great move for Chicago <laughs> and for the MLS to get a world champion coming to the league. Well, yeah, it's just, it's MLS can't get out of their own way. Yeah. Yes. Like uh, they, I they, saw there was there was a headline on Deadspin the other day that was Bastian Schweinsteiger becomes latest old guy to head to MLS. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which exactly. I, makes me feel old because he's only like a year and a half older than I am. But <laughs> yeah, he's, but like I mean, he's it, he's turning he's turning thirty three in the summer. Oh, okay, he's two years. He's two and a half years. Yeah, old. in the summer he's, he's turning thirty three, but he's never been a player that lived on his speed. No, and he will. He'll have a, he'll have success in MLS. Don't yes. get me wrong. Yes, but and I mean, even if you, the thing is too that you can just everybody at Manchester United talks the world about this guy. He's been a class act from day one, and, and I can I, I cannot say that. I cannot say enough about uh, what this guy has done at Manchester United because you could not other maybe maybe Victor Valdez last year, but. Maybe not. You could not. You could not treat a player worse mm -hmm. than Manchester United treated Bastian yeah, Schweinsteiger, this is true. and not a negative word has come out. No, and he and takes I, pictures in the stands, like, "Oh, I'm in the stands today to support the team," like this yeah. and that, and and him going out there and, and taking pictures with the backroom staff, going, "I'm gonna miss you when I leave." Like, I I don't I, I would never I would not be able to do that if I were. So wrong, as wronged by the club as he was, I wouldn't be able to do what yeah. he's doing. I mean, yeah. and, and he's, just, he's a pre an eminent professional. Yeah, and imagine Eminently. that influence on a less experienced team like Chicago Fire. You know, a lot of younger players getting a guy like this in who has a okay. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight Bundesliga titles, a World Cup title, two third place. In the World Cup, a runners-up medal from the Euros. I mean, this guy has basically yeah, done it all. Here's, but here's the thing. So the the issue on the let's go back to your original point is for yes. was it a good move for the club? Was it a good move for MLS? The MLS seems to start to t to turn a corner when they say like, you know what? Maybe we should get like budding international stars that are not quite there yet, and like pay them a lot of money, and that's who we should use our DP slots on rather than trying to just cash in on a name like Frank Lampard or Steven Gerrard, or in this case, Bastian Schweinsteiger. David Alberto Guzman Perez. Yeah, but he's, he signed it. It just okay. seemed like they turned a corner and then they're going to Bastian Schweinsteiger. And let's, let's call a spade a spade here. The reason that everybody is making him seem way older than he is, is because his last two full seasons, he's been battled by, battered by injuries. So he really hasn't played much in the last three years. Yes, that's but true. We just haven't he's seen him on the field. Left and, and and last year, he played in Louis van Gaal's system that handicapped him and just said, hey, stand in one position on the field and don't do anything useful. Yeah. Uh, you want to get into the box and help out? Don't. Yeah. You know, at one point in the season, they, they – um, at one point in the season, he actually moved further up the field, and it was like watching a different yeah. player. Mm -hmm. He was a new don't, Schweinsteiger, and then they moved him back again. Don't get so me wrong. We, I just, will... we just don't know how good he is because we haven't seen him. Yeah. And what you say, Seb, is, okay, 
the other issue and part of the article, what the article wrote is like, why are the fire getting him when they have two guys that played his position? I mean, that's just dumb. Yes. Uh, have, if you're going to play both of those guys at the same time, then you want to have three guys that play that position because it, one competition is good Two, injuries happen. Thank you. Like yeah. y- you need three people. Yes. You need three people. Like it's, it's look, I'm a big, I'm a big Mets fan and people keep, Right now, the, you know, the Mets, their, their story is they're pitching and they have an amazing starting rotation. And everybody keeps talking about, well, how are we going to fit this guy into the rotation? How, I'm like, when's this guy going to? It's like, guys, we've been watching baseball before. I guarantee you all five of these guys are not going to make 30 starts this year. Like, you know, people are going to get hurt. That's the, that's the nature of the beast. The question is, is, yes, you bring in a player of Schweinsteiger's experience. He's going to be very helpful on the training ground. He's really going to help out a lot of those guys, but, it's, there's a difference between going from Germany to England or Italy or France or the Netherlands or something like that and becoming that influence. It's a huge difference between doing that and going from Europe to the MLS. And Steven Gerrard wrote about it like last week or last year, how he just wasn't prepared for this because the travel is so much worse in, the, in, in America in general mm-hmm. oh, than yeah. it is in Europe. Oh, yeah. He's not used to that kind of travel. He's it's a big deal when when teams have to fly from Germany to like to Italy in the Champions League. Like that's a big deal. It's like that's a uh, like that's New York to Chicago for us. Yeah, so no, there's that. I, then yes, there's the, the travel then there's tough. playing on turf. Like is he going to be able to do that, you know? One of those other two guys that that gets hurt and now Schweinsteiger has to play full time. Well, what happens when you go when you go somewhere and you got to play on a turf field and Schweinsteiger can't play because that's what we see more and more of is the big guys that come over from Europe, they tend to not be able to play on the turf fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is, especially unless you're from a nation that has... I know some teams in the Netherlands have uh, artificial turf. I know some teams in Sweden have it too, just you know because it's shitty weather there, so you can't have natural right. gas. Right, I mean, it's just, it's just more common in, in America, and it's like, you know, Thierry Henry... Uh, Drogba, Lampard, mm-hmm. Jerry. It's like there's just, the list just goes on and on of people that, that these stars that come over and then they just can't play anywhere. No, can't but play I, feel, I, I feel like, yes, Schweinsteiger, he turns 33 in the summer, but he signed a two year deal that's not bad. I still think he has no. two good years left in him. It I don't been... think it's a question of his on field ability. I think it's a question of how he had, whether he could stay fit because yeah. he has been battled, battered, battered by injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Germany and in England, whether you could stay fit and how he how he adapts to all those other things like the travel and everything. But other than that, dude, great. That's a good signing. Like yeah. you can get a leader like Bastian Schweinsteiger here. That's a good signing. Yeah, and it, I mean that's not. I don't see it as a step backwards for the league because it's not. You're not bringing in a 37 year old who clearly is way and you're getting over the a hill. consummate professional. Yeah. Yeah. Like who will whether things are going well for him or not, he has already shown he will take time out of his own life to promote you. Yep. So good on Chicago. Yeah. I will sh- I'm going to make my way up there. Huh, we should go together in August. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. I mean, it's a bit of a drive, but I'll make it for Basti. Yeah. You know what? Like but and and I know this is off topic and we'll, we'll have plenty of time to talk about it later. Yes. For all the crap that the MLS is getting for this move, what's up with the MLS joining the International Champions Cup again? 
I thought like the MLS finally wisened up and said, you know what? It's actually kind of pointless for us to play midseason friendlies against these European teams. Yeah, it's really dumb. Yeah. And boom, next thing you know, United are playing Real Salt Lake and the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is really weird. Um, in the most prestigious tournament in the world, assuming we win it. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's true. That's true. Okay, let's head over to the internationals. We got a international break here, which means World Cup qualifications. And uh, let's touch upon England. They sit top of their group, uh, Group F, uh, with uh, 10 points after four games, three, one, three wins, one draw. And they take on Lithuania at home, Wembley Stadium, on March 26th. That's not what's the England story here. England story how is... About, how about Gareth Southgate? A back three! Mm-hmm. <laughs> A back three for England! Three Antonio Conte England. making waves. England with a back three, like maybe Gareth Southgate wasn't just like, oh, the next guy who fits the same mold as all the other guys. Like maybe they did just bring in a young guy who's, you know, going to say, hey, all the other guys that I used to, that like used to manage England all had the same old stale farty ideas. I'm going to try to freshen this up a bit. And why not? You know, like, and granted, I, I do think that he did it only because all of England is doing it now. I mean, even Jose Mourinho is going with a back three these days. Mm-hmm. So I guess all of England is like warmed up to it. But yeah, what? Well, like, first of all, when Danny Rose gets healthy, you'll have Kyle Walker and Danny Rose as your wing backs, which is fantastic news yeah. for England because that's the position that they play for Spurs. Um, you don't actually, the only winger that the, that they actually like really have is Andros Townsend. So I guess it kind of just makes, it just makes sense. Condense, you know, you don't want to play Marcus Rashford out on the wing. So it makes it, you know, Eric Dyer can can play in in the back or in the midfield. It, like great job, and and they held themselves very well against Germany. Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, that for Lucas Podolski's left foot. Yeah, a heck of a goal there. Germany won one nothing, but I well, mean, and he's retiring from international play now too. He right? is. Yes, that's that's he. You know, you don't talk about another German international who's a class act. Lucas Podolski is absolutely that. You know, and I, I, he ne- he never kind of made his mark at Arsenal in the way that I really wanted him to, and obviously he wanted to, uh, which largely is because he doesn't track back and defend very well. But that aside, he is another player I have a lot of respect for, and he's just. He's got such a love for life and a love for the game, and he he really deserved to go out on a high note, but also at the same time, the number 10 German shirt is a shirt with a lot of weight behind it, and he's he's not the player to to be donning that at this time. I, lo- I love that about, about international football. Like, just the fact that they weigh people because of the number on their shirt mm. yeah <laughs> the, the fact that the number on your shirt gives you expectations to live up to oh, yeah. well no but it, yeah yeah it totally does though i think it does at club level to some extent too yeah no, I, I meant that like i meant that in terms of like you know like european like just just football over the place you know like if yeah. if, if if the red I, the red will probably have somebody that wear that wears number 14 right now i don't think people are expecting him to be the next Thierry Henry. no 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 i mean that comes with you know history and all that stuff, and they're still a young club. 
Paulie, I did want to ask you about that back three, though. So Michael Keane, Chris Smalling, and Gary Cahill starting in this one. Do you think that we'll see Stones slot in against Lithuania if they keep it going with three at the back? Uh, Seeing that Keane is very inexperienced. Yeah, but it's she just. I think that's why you started. I th- I think that's why they started him against Germany. Like started him. Mm-hmm. Like it's one thing to, it's one thing to to be like, okay, we're not like you know we're not gonna throw you out there, and then you he runs out there for the last thirty minutes, and then you say, well, you've gotten your feet wet. Yeah. Um, you've gotten your feet wet in 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 international football. But, you know, you stayed on the stairs and we don't even want to let you go into the shallow end. So what they did was they just, you know, they started him, which is like, all right, walk down the stairs and walk into the shallow end and start wading your way into the deep end. He's ready. He knows what to expect now. And Germany's a Germany in a friendly is a bigger game than Lithuania, you know, in a quali- in a qualifier. Oh, yeah. Especially, especially if it's a home game. Yeah. Yeah, it's a home game. So, yeah, you, you do this to prepare Michael Keane for what to expect. And. If you're going to do that, like, there's just no reason to have this friendly. So if if you are going to have that friendly, playing 11 random guys and then going to your top 11 guys for the Lithuania game makes no sense. You played this friendly so that these 11 guys can get 60 to 70 minutes on the field with each other together. Yeah. Do you, do you think that most of the lineup is going to be the same? Um, probably. I mean, I, I don't, I didn't watch the game, so I don't remember, and I don't remember the lineup off the top of my head, but okay, I Okay, so I'll, I'll just rabble it off real quick for you. Joe Harden, goal. I think he's going to stay. He'll stay. Uh, right back, Kyle Walker, or right, he'll stay. you know, wing back. Yeah, yeah he'll, stay. he'll stay. And then K- the back three will stay. Yeah, Cahill, Smalling, Keen, and then Bertrand was, Bertrand. Bertrand's going to stay. Yeah, and then you had Dyer and uh, Jake Livermore as the holding midfielders. Yeah, that was interesting. Jake Livermore getting a, getting a spot in there. Oh, yeah. He's done well, though. He's had a really strong season. Yeah, but the question was, should Jake Livermore have gotten that spot? I mean, yeah, he's had a great year, but I almost think that Harry Winks could have gotten a call up here if you were willing to change up the squad that much. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't really see who else would slot in between Dyer there, though. You don't need someone. So so maybe Livermore, you know? Yeah. I mean, I guess Ward-Prowse could play that role. But I don't know. And then front, front I mean, three, with the back three, yes. though, you could go with a 3-4-3. Three, three. You don't need a second holding midfielder. True. Absolutely true. Uh, front three was Deli Ali, Jamie Vardy, and Adam Lelana. Yeah, that stays. That stays the same. They're not going to – They're not gonna. although Vardy doesn't really deserve it this year. Uh, no. No, not at all. Vardy doesn't deserve it, but, you know, who are their other strikers? Daniel Sturridge doesn't deserve it. He – you know, you got why Ra- you got Rashford why and Defoe. Why play Jermaine Defoe? Why play Jermaine Defoe though? I mean, Jermaine Defoe's just old. It's great that he got called up. <laughs> great, you know, deserves it. But if you're looking towards the future of England, and you clearly are, because you called up Michael, you know, you started Michael Keane, and you and you started Jake Livermore, and you know, you called up James Ward Press. You're looking towards the future. Having Jermaine Defoe there is just like why? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sturridge is terrible, and then so you know. I guess you look towards the future, then you say, "Hey, Rashford should play," mm-hmm. and that. But that, unfortunately, that's the only argument for Rashford is if you're looking towards the future, because goal-wise, he's you know, if we're basing it on Premier League goals, he's been just as unproductive as Vardy. Granted, he's playing behind Zlatan Ibrahimovic and he's playing off on the wing uh, when he has started in the the non-league games. Centrally, he has scored some goals, but I can understand why they went 
you're going Vardy over Rashford. Yeah, and I, I still think both Vardy and Rashford, you know, we're all assuming that England's going to make it to Russia. Both of those two are going to be in the squad. I don't think Defoe is going to be in the squad. I wouldn't rule Vardy not being in the squad, though. I wouldn't rule that. I don't, I don't think Vardy's a guaranteed placement there. I mean, it will. If come... Vardy continues to have a poor season yeah. and then has yeah. a poor season next year and any striker yeah. comes and, and steps in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's not. You know, I would say that Hurricane is a lock. If Ra- he's healthy. Yeah, 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 let's assume that everyone's healthy. I think okay. that Kane is a lock. I think Rashford is a lock. If Rashford keeps playing the way he's playing now, he's a lock. And, you know, there's no reason to suggest he might not be better next year. Yeah. But how many? As, and then as Kane will be too. How many strikers do you bring, though? Especially if you go to this system. If you keep this system. No, well, no, that's not the question. You're asking the wrong question. Okay, what should I be asking? The quest. The question is, will Wayne Rooney be there? And whose spot is he taking? Yeah, but he's going to play a central midfielder. It. it eh, <laughs> I wouldn't. It's a very. It's very convenient if you just bring him along as yeah. the fourth striker. Yeah, I guess that's that's pretty convenient. Like he'll just occupy Daniel Sturridge's spot on the bench. Yeah, that's fine. You know, because right, but and then you just you know you you get. Ah, oh, but yeah, geez, England, you have no strikers. I mean, you got Harry Kane, who's elite, and then there's a pretty big drop off. No, they have a really good one. Yeah. They have no depth to it. Like, yeah. you know, last year, when the tournament started, when the Euro started, you were like, well, Harry Kane was tremendous. Jamie Vardy had a great season. Sturge, we, we still thought, like, should have been good if he was healthy. Mm-hmm. That's out the window. Yeah. Uh, Rooney at that point was a midfielder. Yeah, Danny but still Danny... had a very He had a very good half second half of the season as a midfielder yeah. capped off with a brilliant FA Cup final performance uh, and then you had Rashford who was the up and coming guy but but now it's it's there's no up and coming guy oh and then you got Danny Welbeck who's done well for the national team I know you okay, don't like him again, I know you don't like him but it's it's not that it's it's the question is why like you it's great that you have um, look we all criticized Gareth Southgate especially when he got hired but it's great that he is not just trying to get these players to improve on their the same old performances. It's he's thinking differently. So if you're going to think differently, why go back to the people that have failed? No. Mm. You know, like yeah. Deli Ali and Eric yeah. Dyer and and Adam Lallana, uh, they all failed at the Euros. But like that was their first failure, and and a lot of it was some of it was you know, you know Harry Kane failed, but you know Deli a lot Ali of that should is have scored against Germany the other day too. I mean, he, right. He a lot of a lot of the Euros' failure was also just due to inexperience. You know, Harry Kane just hit a wall. He was exhausted from the season. He wasn't used to playing in a summer tournament, let alone the fact that we forget he played for like the U21s the year beforehand in in their Euros. Yep. So it's more in you know everybody has to fail once. Germany came up short. Uh, you know, Germany went to inexperience in 2006, and and that really helped them get better later later on yeah. so but why go back to like you know why go to Danny Welbeck why go to Theo Walcott and that's the question is why go to Jermaine Defoe and I'll say it right now like why go to Wayne Rooney it's, that just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. yeah look at Lithuania I mean it's you know they're let's see how many points they've got so far they got five points they got a win two draws one loss um, but I mean I can't Half like half of this team play in the Lithuanian league. Um, the only player of note I would say that you should keep an eye on that's Vakinta Slivka, 
who plays for Ascoli in Italy. But other than well, that, well, I, well, I couldn't I mean, tell you anything about this team. Right. Look, <laughs> I, there's no need to. It's a, it's a European qualifier. These things, they go one way. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they did. There's a reason Europe. There's a reason Europe has their qualifying set up the way they do, yeah. and that's so that they get the teams that they want in the World Cup into the World Cup. Yeah, they almost beat Scotland away. Um, MacArthur scored. That's Scotland into... away. That's not England. You're no. also talking about England, who, you know, for as as much as we're going to praise Gareth Southgate for the change, you know, England for has never, other than 2008, for like 40 years now, they haven't had a problem rolling through their qualifying. Oh no, 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 they're a great qualifying team. <laughs> They're a great qualifying team. Uh, let's move over to Group D real quick, where we find the Republic of Ireland sitting at the top with 10 points. Three wins, one draw. Great start for them. Wales, who had a great performance at the Euros, they sit in third with uh, six points, one win and three draws. They meet up um, in Ireland. And with Gareth Bale back healthy... Um, Elliot, do you think that he can lead Wales back into the fight here? It's it's hard to say. I mean, I want they they have a world class player in Gareth Bale, and they have. I mean, Aaron, I'm just I'm concerned that maybe their like their best their best performances were in the build up and in the Euros, and I don't want to say that those days are behind them, but. I'm, you know, it's, I, I've got to be convinced otherwise. And I just, I'm, uh, I don't see the level of consistency, but, you know, we talk, we've said a lot on this show about how, you know, e- even within a single club, how, you know, like one competition's form doesn't necessarily carry through to another. And you watch a team do really well in the Premier League and then struggle in Europe or vice versa, as is the case with Leicester City. Mm-hmm. But in terms of building up momentum, then I it just I don't see I don't see the whales this year that we saw last year. No, and I, I think that part of it could just be that expectations are higher now since they did so well at the Euros. Mm-hmm. Ireland, you know, they, they went to the Euros and they just had fun, basically. Um, and I think that they're just keeping that going. They're not the flashiest team. They don't have a superstar. Uh, you know, you could say that they're arguably their best players, their right back, uh, same as Coleman. So there's no real expectations on that side, whereas Wales now, after their good performance at the Euros and having a world-class player in in Gareth Bale, you know, it might be getting to them a little. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I also I mean, just it's definitely I, a, also an Wales interesting hasn't match. been healthy. No, they have not. Wales has not been a hundred percent at all during this qualifying run. And they, they need Aaron Ramsey to get back to the form that he showed over the summer and not the form that he's currently showing. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting match, though. So uh, we do suggest you can... I don't know if that one is on Fox or not. But you know what? Ireland's fans were the stars of the Euros, so I want Ireland. Oh, yeah. They were, they were really good. Class, <laughs> class act fans. I, you know what? I don't, so I don't unlike need England's the superstar fans Garrett. In Germany. Yeah. I don't need... I don't need the superstar power of Gareth Bale. I need I need the super fans of Ireland. Yeah. Okay, let's. Hopefully, go. I'll have the superstar power of Josie Altador. Oh yeah, let's uh, go into the U.S. men's national team here, uh, taking on Honduras tomorrow. 
at home, Avaya Stadium in San Jose, California. I don't know what the... It's a uh, big first game for the U.S. Because it's your first U.S. game. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sub citizen. Woo. Yep. Yeah. I mean, losing out the opening game against Mexico 2-1 and then, you know, getting pummeled by Costa Rica 4-0 in the second game puts a lot of pressure on this team for the game Seb. against Honduras. Yes. Seb. Do you believe that we will win? I think that is the, <laughs> that is the worst slogan ever. It's so bad. It is I mean, it's, absolutely it's, terrible. It, no, it's honestly, though, it wasn't that bad going into the quote-unquote group of death in the last World Cup because we were clear, clear underdogs in that group. Well, wait, right? no. Facing, it, facing a team that had eliminated us from two World Cups as the third best team in that group and then facing Germany and Portugal, yeah, then then it was a chant that made sense. But I just, but also, I agree with you. Do you know where it comes it. from? Do you know where no. it comes from? No. It comes from, like, Utah State or something, their basketball team. Like, some, like, very small Division One school or something out in the Midwest or the, the Rocky Mountain region. I think it's Utah State. And they're, so it's, like, one of those small gyms, and their fans would do it, like, at the beginning of every game. And, like, they all did it together, right? Like, they knew when it was going to come, so it was all together, so it was awesome. So the U.S. kind of adapted it, and it was it, – you're right. It was good. Now it's just, like, people do it when it's quiet, and then, like, you know, nobody really joins in, and it's this and that, and it's done 17 times a game. And yeah, now it's annoying. And everybody and, always screws it up a little bit. Like, yeah, And I, it's, I find it especially annoying at the women's matches just because, like, you, you know, until we crashed out of the Olympics, it was like, guys – we're world number one. Yeah. Everyone right. It's like doing it at a UConn women's win. game. Yeah. It's like doing it at a UConn yeah, women's exactly. game. Exactly. This is like, I believe that history shows that we're an unprecedented powerhouse. Yeah, basically. <laughs> right. No, I, I think there, I don't know if you, have you ever seen Masio Brani stand up? No. no. Okay. So he does a bit on this and it's hilarious. So I, I uh, recommend everybody to just, you can just Google it. Masio Brani. How, how do you spell his name? M A Z. And then uh, space, and then J O B R A N I, and he's got a little, uh, it got a little bit on that, and it's it's hilarious. Uh, so anyway, back yes. to the question, which I will rephrase. Seb, do you think we will win? Yes, I do think that they can beat Honduras. I, you know, Elliot. Yes. Elliot, uh, where's where's your confidence meter for this game? A seven point five. I'd say I I put a bet down on the U.S. winning 2-0 because I got decently long odds on it. I mean, I don't think that it's a sure thing, but I, I'm i I'm cautiously optimistic, let's put it that way. I don't I, – I don't, you could give me, like, great odds on 2-0, and I don't think I would take that because I think this game is unnervably close or they win in a blowout. Mm. But yeah. I'll tell you my confidence meter, not high. Yeah. And – the reason being, you know, I was happy when, like, everybody said Bruce Arena was going to make a million changes to the squad, and all he did was, like, change up, like, who's, like, the 16th through 23rd people on the squad, although he did call in um, Nick Ramondo again. Like, why? Uh, mm-hmm. As your third keeper, although I guess that's good because Brad Guzon's having a kid, which I guess we've known about. So, like, you could have figured this out in November. Mm-hmm. That Brad Guzon wasn't going to be available for these games. Uh, good job, media. Way to do your homework. Um, and bad on him too. 
for not planning it better. Well, at that point, he knew Tim Howard was the number one. <laughs> He's like, I want a couple of days off. Yeah. <laughs> like, get- so, but, and then it, then it turns out that, like, you know, you could tell the top 11 guys that he calls up, are they're all Quinsman guys. They're all the same guys that have been playing. How Michael Orozco still made this roster is beyond me because yeah. he is a player with just no skill that was clearly a Quinsman guy. Um, hey. The confidence meter, though, really fell when Fabian Johnson limped off the field last week in the Europa League, and then all of a sudden Bobby Wood just didn't come to America because uh, he got hurt. Yep. And then the man who just won't die – Chris Wondolowski gets gets added to the team. <laughs> and everybody's like, well, Wando is like, oh, he's not a bad option in case of an emergency. And it's like, well, here's two problems. One is Quint Dempsey can't start, apparently. Of course, I think I think at the end of the day, when all, when all is said and done, he will start. But at the beginning of the week, they were saying, he's not fit enough to start yet. Uh, Jordan Morris just got hurt. Uh you can't play Josie Altidore as a lone striker because that's a tried and true formula that doesn't work. So all of a sudden now you're looking at Chris Wondolowski as like, yeah, you're probably going to have to play. And that is kind of a huge issue. Yeah. Um, at a certain point I was like, yo, I'm, I'm seriously looking down up and down this roster trying to figure out like which player can be a false nine. Cause like we have so many midfielders. Why not just throw them all onto the field? Two out of our best three offensive players are not playing. They all they had to withdraw and stay in Germany, and they're they're injured. The only saving grace in this game is that coming into this game, Christian Pulisic is literally in the form of his life. Yes, his young yeah. life. Yes, his young life. But dude, I mean, it's no, not he's like, in great oh, form. He's, getting, he's in great form. It's not like he's getting playing time at Dortmund, and like you know, he's contributing assists here and there, like. You know, oh, he no. had one assist in the last five weeks, and he's getting playing time. This is like, no, the guy's on fire right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> he's undrop. He's made himself undroppable in one of Europe's most competitive clubs. I, I mean, that's and it's it's funny because a couple weeks ago I was watching the Dortmund match, and Marco Royce goes out with an injury like in the eleventh minute, and um, Pulisic comes on the announcer because Fox was using their own announcers, and the announcer who's you know got to sell that Honduras game is saying like. Oh, Pulisic has been on the bench recently, and like now he's got a, a chance to like make himself undroppable. Pulisic goes on to have a goal and an assist in this game, and the announcer at the end of this game says he just played his way into the first team, and it's like okay, like relax. Like Andre Sherla still on the bench. Mario Gutsy is like ready to return from injury. Like you know, he's not necessarily a guaranteed starter for Wednesday's Champions League game, and then he started in the Champions League and he played well again. So after a couple matches yeah he's now made himself at the moment undroppable mm-hmm. yeah. but it was just fox just being like after 15 minutes like oh pulisic undroppable now well how do how do you think about altidor up front and then clint dempsey as a shadow striker i'm i'm fine with that because it's worked in the past and because dempsey scores dempsey consistently scores no matter who he's with whether he's there up top alone, whether he's there with Bobby Wood, whether he's there with Josie Altidore, he scores. And yeah. the unnecess- the unfortunate truth of the U.S. is that no one, you know, Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore are guaranteed starters if they're fit. And everything else has to work around that. And that's very unfortunate, especially because 
we saw like Bradley is just wildly inconsistent. We know how we all feel about Bradley. Yep. We know how I feel about Altidore. But just the Copa America just showed us how lethal the partnership of Bobby Wood and Clint Dempsey was. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, well, Altador is healthy now, so he obviously has to start. And it's just like, why? Yeah. But unfortunately, Bobby Wood is – like, you know, in in October, it was Dempsey was hurt. Or November, it was Dempsey was hurt. And now it's uh, – Bobby Wood is hurt. So, you know, injuries dictate this, and just Altador is just lucky. And, I, you know, I, I just guarantee you when the World Cup rolls around, Altador will be hurt again because that's just what he does. Well, you see that as a plus, though. I see that as a plus, but it, it it would just be nice if like if the U.S. if it if it didn't have to be like oh now we got to go to Plan B, which is a is a half decent Plan B to have Dempsey and Bobby Wood. That's a good Plan B, but it's you know I'd I'd rather them have played thirty games together oh, yeah. than ten games together. Of course, yeah. and I mean the, the scary part is too though that Altidore is only twenty seven. Yeah, dude. Yeah, what an old twenty seven he is. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, I mean that's what happens in the U.S. like overhype machine for soccer players. Hey, and, speaking and, of overhype, and though, here's here's how it comes though. But here's where all the all the problems come in. Is first is that Michael Bradley has this guaranteed spot on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jermaine Jones in every tournament in the Copa America and the World Cup has been a better midfielder than Bradley. So right there now you have to have Bradley and Jones on the field. Then. In the last couple of games, Sasha Question has been our bet, like the most the, the most important player to play. Yeah. Like he needs to be on the field, and it was a joke that he didn't make this squad outright. And I I think yeah. he starts in this game, as he should, which would be a joke that he starts in this game when he should have like you know didn't even make the team outright. So, uh, and then you have Pulisic has to be on the team. You want him to play centrally. So somewhere on the line now, you got too many players in the middle. The team is better with one striker. Bobby Wood could play as, as a single striker. Quinn Dempsey could play as a single striker. Josie Altador cannot. So when you have to have Bradley in the team and you have to have Altador in the team, it ruins everything else and you need to figure out, you need to move other players around so that you could accommodate players. And that's why Jurgen Klinsman went to a back three against Mexico. Mm-hmm. Because... And I had the conversation with a friend a couple of days earlier when we both said, hey, are we both crazy to think we're at our best in a back three? And the answer is, well, we probably are because we don't have a left back. Uh, Fabian Johnson is better at, as a winger than he is as a left back. Yeah. So, Demarcus Beasley! <laughs> so, but if you play Fabian, if, assume for a second that we're all healthy. Everybody's healthy. Mm-hmm. If you play Fabian Johnson... Uh, as a wing back, that solves both issues. On the other side, you play DeAndre Yedlin because he's great at getting forward too. And now you've got the, the inside covered. You can play a 3-5-2. So you could have Bradley and Jones on the field along with another creative midfielder. You can have Dempsey and Altidore on the top. So yeah, that's why Jurgen Klinsmann went to the back three. So let's and. See- it didn't work against Mexico. He got killed for it, but it didn't surprise me when Bruce Arena came out in January and said, yeah, we might go to a back three because Bruce Arena looked at the team and he said, yeah, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So let, let's say, you know, Bruce Arena gets fired right now and they call you up, Polly. With that, with this, you know, this squad here that's been selected, how would you form the team? Like who, what's your starting 11? Oh. You can pick any system. It's that's tough. Um, 
It's real tough because. Uh, I mean, it, it no, is. I don't. It is I, difficult I saying that they have they have a lot of injuries, and I be, Jones is suspended for this first game. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would go. I'm upset that they didn't call up that Keegan Rosenberry kid uh, from Philadelphia. He, I mean, the MLS people were like raving about him all the time. You finally get an MLS coach in, and he can't get a look. And the two left backs also, yeah. like Villafana and somebody else, like. If they start Pre- the market, Pre- Beasley, is good. Yeah. So and everybody raves about him. So if you start to Marcus Beasley over him, I mean, seriously, like because no. everybody keeps complaining that the MLS guys aren't getting a fair crack, including Bruce Arena. So you bring in the MLS guy, and if you're gonna say that MLS is as good as you're saying it is, then these guys should be able to handle Honduras at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So And also, I mean Jorge Villafana came to MLS was fantastic, won the league, and then was just like, all right, bye, I'm going to Mexico. Yep. <laughs> right. So if if it's up to me, I I would go – I would put Kellen Acosta in there at right back because he has experience playing left back. He's naturally right-footed. Uh, I know he plays central midfield for, for Dallas, but I like him as a fullback because he, he can play it. Um, Brooks and Cameron are in the middle because it, without Cameron – Brooks, who was a star in the Copa America, without Cameron, he's a lost puppy. Mm-hmm. So Cameron's the one that organized the defense. I'd play Viafana as the left back. Um, I, I, in this game, we're talking about Honduras with the current situation that we have. Yes. I, I will go 4-4-2 because it's just it's the nature of the beast. You, you have to get the win. So Bradley will play because I think being the American coach, it's written in your contract. Bradley has to play. <laughs> um, I would start question next to him. Do I do like that 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 Sebastian Letget guy, whatever, yeah. however his name is pronounced? Uh, I do like him. I just haven't seen enough of him. I also like Caleb Stanko and and Perry Kitchen. I don't know why they're not getting looks. I um, honestly, I like Tim Ream. I like Tim Ream a lot. I do, I, I do, but I don't, I don't see him as a left back. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I don't John think he Brooks has is a place John Brooks strong. is better than him. Yes, I, um, I, I agree with that. I still think, I still think that. Tim Ream is a guy who I want to be, as you said, in terms of, you know, injuries are inevitable. He's a great squad player for this team, and I was happy to see him come. I want him on the team. Yeah, he's a guy that's just been screwed the last couple of years. Like, he should have been yeah. in the picture for, for mm-hmm. more than he was. I, like, he's not worse than Michael Orozco. No, he's definitely better <laughs> than Michael Orozco. And I actually, so, I think that I think that he can, he can probably pay left back better than Michael Orozco can. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, Tim Ream should be in the squad. I wouldn't start him. Uh, Pulisic would start, obviously. Uh, question, I would, I would, unfor- I would go with Dempsey and Altidore up front, and I would just hope CONCACAF, home game, that's where Josie Altidore, Josie Altidore scores the mo- most of his goals. Uh, yeah. Usually on tap-ins, like, have you ever noticed like most of Altidore's goals are tap-ins? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like someone finally like someone beats a defender and like gets and then just plays the ball square into the box and Josie Altidore just taps it in and like we're yeah. going, oh, what an unbelievable striker he is! He's got thirty-seven <laughs> international goals and it's like thirty-five of them are tap-ins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, then um, <laughs> Jermaine Jones scores the odd screamer and everybody's like, right. Oh, Josie Altidore is amazing. Oh wait, no, that was the guy with dreads. <laughs> right. Um. So the question I have is is who starts like on the other wing and. Uh, off the top of my head, just because I I don't exactly remember the roster, I guess Bedoya. I wouldn't start Bedoya I, in the home game. I would no, I would Nagby. definitely start him in the away Nagby. game. It's gonna be. Oh Nagby. yeah, you could start Nagby out there. Um, even though I, I would definitely start... better centrally, but you got to give Pulisic 
that position over Nagby. Right. Well, you're also playing like a four four two, so it's. But again, your fullbacks could push up, which is also why Jeff Cameron, you know, shouldn't be playing fullback. Um. Yeah, I, in the away game against Panama, I would start. I would start Bedoya, but not in the home game. Okay. I mean, it is a shame that they got a couple of injuries here because uh, this is a must-win, really. I mean, starting off oh, absolutely. starting off this porous, they've done, you know, two straight losses, sit at the bottom of the hex. That That's not good. Uh, Honduras, they are in fourth. They got one win, one loss. They, uh, they lost against Panama at home in the opening game, and then they beat Trinidad and Tobago 3-1 to one in the last game. So and I can't say that I know too much about this Honduras team, other that than they're feisty. They're feisty. Oh jeez, the U.S.—they really have no options to play on the wing. No. Hey, they're, guess what? They're a little. They're a little in there. What's that? What's I, that new American? You know American? what wouldn't even shock me? You know what would not shock me in this game? I would not be shocked to see like uh, a Viafana line up at left back and DeMarcus Beasley line up at left wing. Mm. That's possible. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's a converted left back to begin with. So, Right. And just Bruce Arena trying to find that 2002 magic. <laughs> but also, if, and just to go back to your to the, to the question before, if Quinn Dempsey was 100%, I would probably start Bedoya and uh, move Pulisic inside and start Nagby also and just play with one up top. Mm. But that's just my personal yeah, vendetta yeah. against Josie Ostendorf. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. totally and, fine. Yeah, totally. No, we were I mean, speak- at 100%. Yeah, we were speaking about Anderlecht before. Yep. And uh, they do have a player in the Honduras squad, Andy Nayar. Oh, yeah, yes. that's right. Who's a, a longtime MLS player himself as well. So... Um... Yeah, I don't know too much about this Honduras. Obviously, team. not marketable because MLS let him go to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they got a couple of players that play in the MLS. They got uh, Minor Figueroa, the you know older men there, thirty-three years old, one hundred and thirty-four caps for Honduras. That's that's strong. He well, plays they well. should. This is uh, they should have a lot of players in the MLS, and this is something that Elliot and I spoke about. I don't know if it was a year ago or if it was six months ago or something, but. Just how MLS is, has helped out CONCACAF a lot more than it's helped out the U.S. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it gives these these smaller countries a bigger league to send their players to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they can't really yeah, well, if they can't really make the jump to Mexico, then yeah, they can go to the MLS. Right, and and MLS and look, we all know I'm not an MLS guy, but there is value to MLS, you know, uh, and and I think there's certain. There's certain, I, I blame MLS for, for Michael Bradley sucking, but it's not it's not really the MLS. That, it's I don't think, but maybe it's not the MLS's fault. Michael Bradley sucks because he's he's complacent. Mm. Yes. Michael Bradley went yeah. to a team where they built the team around him. So he's undroppable in that team. Yeah. And then the U.S. decided to build their team around him. So he's undroppable from the national team. Sasha Question couldn't get a look when he was playing from Quinsman when he was playing in the Champions League, comes to the MLS where mm-hmm. he's, you know, fighting to prove himself not just in MLS, but he's still fighting for a national team career week in, yeah. week out. And all of a sudden, he's the best player that we had in the tail end yeah. of 2016. So it's it's all about fighting. You know, Jermaine Jones is still at the top of his game because everybody said after the last World Cup, all right, you're done. And then he went to the MLS and everybody said, oh, and you went to the MLS, like, and you're 33 years old, so you're obviously out of the picture. No, 
He's fighting to stay in the picture. Yeah. Quinn Dempsey, everybody says, you're too old to play for the national team. He's fighting to stay in the picture. And all these guys are still good because they're fighting. Michael Bradley isn't fighting. Josie Altidore yeah. isn't fighting. And guess what? Those two guys suck. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think that I think that Bradley's best days for the Stars and Stripes also came when he was at Roma in a club where yeah, barely playing. No. Yeah. <laughs> barely barely playing but fighting for his life. Yeah. Fighting mm-hmm. for a spot in the team. Yeah, another you know, interesting player that the Honduras have though. That's uh, Anthony Lozano, who's on loan at Tenerife in uh, Spain, who made his, I'm just reading on his Wikipedia here, made his debut in the Honduran top division at age 15. Is his contract owned by a Honduran team? Uh, Olympia. I love when, I love when Seb like gives us the, the, the breakdown of these players on yeah, these the tiny teams. Who, that we never heard of. Who, <laughs> right, but 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 now we're gonna all right. So like, all right, now I know all this stuff about these teams, and then I'm gonna watch these countries that are so small that they just wear not numbers on the back of their shirt, no names. So I'm not gonna know who any of them are anyway. Okay. So he's number nine, everybody. He's number nine. So and I assume he's the striker. Yes, yes, you are correct. Yeah, especially he spent some time in uh, Tottenham Hot Spurs reserve team. Oh, He's the guy gross. that's going to score a goal when Josie Othgore forgets to mark him on a corner. Mm, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, He's the guy who's going to score a goal in 10 years when Jermaine Defoe retires. Yeah. Okay, anything else we want to say about this game against Honduras, or do we want to move over to our final thoughts? Please, uh, please, please win. Please, please win. Yeah. Please win. Okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, quick final thoughts here then. Uh, Elliot, you can kick us off if you want to. Uh, sure. I mean, honestly, we kind of touched already touched on mine, which was the inclusion of Tim Ream, who's a player who, you know, Paulie, you were talking about hunger. And after he'd been dropped, his a year ago, his appearance for the U.S., I, he, he looked like a player who was hungry, who was pushing up and driving the team forward and also still not shirking his defensive duties. He's a player who I agree with Paulie in that I don't think that he's going to get a start for the team, and I'm kind of fine with that. But don't be surprised if, you know, knock on wood, assuming that the U.S. is able to get out of the hex and indeed qualify for Russia 2018. He's a player who I can see potentially having a real role in that team. Yeah, mine comes from uh, former Arsenal goalkeeper Jens Lehmann who took a little stab at uh, Alexis Sanchez, Mesut Ozil, and Skodra Mustafi, um, especially calling out Sanchez, saying that he can't be regarded as a big player as long as he continues to sulk. <laughs> I, th- I think that... I, lo- I love crazy ends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I-, I just love that quote. I mean, they talk about... This is the quote. They talk about Sanchez being a big player, but if you're sulking, you can't be a big player. You must be a big player mentally, not just be good at dribbling. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true goalkeeper. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, he he was something else. Yeah, he really was. Paulie, let's uh, have you do the last one, and then we'll sign off. Uh, I didn't really have one just because, like, I thought we touched on everything I had to say, so I'll just I'll just go with this. Uh, Benny Failhaber, not on the team. So maybe it wasn't the manager that prevented him from being a part of the team. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there we go. Yep. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. 
Paulie is peak with Stella WFAN. Elliot is Keats was better. And we'll talk to you again uh, either later in the weekend or on Monday so we can get that little preview in uh, before the Panama game and see how the U.S. fared against Honduras. So uh, Please God win. Yeah, please, we, yeah, please win. <laughs> we believe that we can win. Uh, with that, have a good one. Goodbye. <laughs>